uh, and spend some time along with Jesus as he meets the needs of several people that uh, are desperate, are in despair, and who reach out to him in faith. Um, Paul exhorted Timothy to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. And just so you don't get tired of my voice, I've asked Cody to come up and read our scripture for us this morning. So, Cody, if you would, please. Okay, scripture reading today is Mark 5, 21 through 43. A dead girl and a sick woman. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers, named Jairus, came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak Because she had thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you? His disciples answered. And yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, and he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in to where the child was, he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kaum, which means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of God. 
Thank you. Thank you, Cody. Let's pray. Take one second or a couple seconds on your own. Ask God to speak to you this morning, will you? And then pray for someone around you. Ask God to speak to them as well, will you? Let's pray. Father, once again, we um, are expectant that you will speak to us. We want you to speak to us. We know that it is through your spirit, through your word, um, that, that you will speak. So, Father, uh, please do. Help us not to leave here uh, the way we came. Let us be changed in some way. Be drawn closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but this passage always hits me hard when I read it. Um, It's packed with incredible pain. Um, Find people that uh, are deep in the valley and uh, are at the mountaintop as well. Packed with pain and magnificent miracles all at once. Um, Jairus, uh, or Jairus, Um, is a synagogue ruler. Um, Because of that, he um, didn't have a lot to do with Jesus before this. In fact, the synagogue rulers were the ones that were opposed to Jesus. Um, For him to put that aside in order to come to Jesus and find him, especially in public, um, involved some risk. Personally, professionally for him. The pain that I feel, and anyone who's a parent here uh, can at least imagine this at some level, the pain of having a child die, or the pain of watching a child dying, um, agonizing. And then we're also left with this conundrum of why does God heal some and not others? Why does he raise some and not others? Short answer is, I don't know. Long answer is, I'm I'm not God and I don't know. Um, But we're left with that, aren't we? Because we all know people who have not been healed, at least the way we asked God to heal them. We also get a glimpse of how Jesus views death in this passage, don't we? Just like when he raises Lazarus from the dead, he says, he's not dead, he's just sleeping. Jesus does not have the same view that we often have of death, does he? Um, We have carry a certain finality with it. That's not true with, with God. That's simply a doorway. This whole scene gets interrupted by a woman. Here's a woman who probably felt like she has taken life on the chin, right? Um, If you remember, about a month ago when I spoke, I talked about the importance of context when we look at Scripture. When When we go into a piece of Scripture and seek to understand it better, that context is critical, right? That we can't just take a piece of Scripture out and pull it up and and make it what we want. 
that it was written in the context of uh, other verses around it, a chapter, a book, and even the whole of Scripture. Um, context is a- absolutely critical. Um, there's different kinds of context. There's historical context. Okay, there is this. This happened at a specific place and time. Geographical context. There's cultural context. Took place in this Jewish culture in the first century. Um, and then there's scriptural context that I mentioned before. First, we're going to take just a, a brief look at this cultural context. We're told that there are crowds pressing in around him. This account of this dead girl and a sick woman happens in, it, it is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All three of those synoptic Gospels have this account. They're all told the same way. In fact, the Luke passage, instead of using the term pressing in around him, Luke uses the term crushing around him. Now, most Americans, I understand, do not have uh, an understanding of crowds this way, right? We like personal space. That's important to us, right? Um, So, the only time I've seen this in America, um, at least that that I'm aware of, is Black Friday shopping. I think that's the only time I've seen it in in our culture. Um, And you really need to go to a big city to do that, I think. I don't think Chris and Kelly have Black Friday crowds like that, crowds and threads. Anyway, if you go to a big city, you will. You know, and you see these crowds rushing in and, you know, they're pressing against each other. Um, to me, that's the high, high commitment to a low cause right there. <laughs> Sorry if I stepped on your toes there. Um, but where I did experience this, as most of you know, Annette and I uh, and our family lived in Russia for eight years in Siberia. And the first year we lived there, uh, we rode public transportation. Uh, before we bought a car. In Russia, public transportation is, it's not like jumping on the RTA here and riding up to Crested Butte. Um, There is long lines, um, but they're not the lines that we're used to. Um, It's more of a cone or a funnel shape there. Um, In Siberia, when it's 40 below, it takes on a whole nother feature. The first few months we thought, we're going to show how polite we are as foreigners. Um, after a few days of near frostbite and not getting on the bus, we realized we might need to change. Um, this is cultural. We're not going to change this whole culture. Um, more than once, I felt like a bowling pin being knocked down uh, as a crowd would all try to get on a bus at the exact same time. Pushing, shoving, um, you literally can't control where you go anymore. Um, usually, it, uh, more often than not, it was a little babushka that moved me out of the way, little grandmother. She had a much lower center of gravity than I did, I think. And I was, boom, knocked out of the way, didn't get on that bus. That's the kind of crowd that is pressing in around Jesus and his disciples that day, Okay? That's what it looked like. Leviticus, the Old, Te- Old Testament book of Leviticus, it's probably been a while since you've read through that, but the Old Testament book of Leviticus is packed with 
the Old Testament law, specifics regarding the Old Testament law. Not just the Ten Commandments, but all, most of the Old Testament law. Um, what it looks like for a person to be unclean. You really need to read the book of Leviticus to get a feel for what it was like to be a person that was unclean. Um, what that meant. It carried with it many consequences, right? First of all, if a person was unclean, which this woman was because of her bleeding, um, we know that she needed to go through a certain cleansing, a ritual at the temple before she could be considered clean. Before she could go through that ritual, she needed to be free from bleeding for seven days. You see the problem, right? You see the problem. Um, To be unclean in that culture also meant that if anybody touches you while you're in a state of uncleanness, they become unclean. Okay? So, in public... If someone was there that others knew were unclean, people would point at them and physically say and say and shout, unclean, unclean, unclean. Not necessarily to humiliate them, belittle them, but so that so that others wouldn't come in contact with them and then become unclean as well. Well, you can imagine what it must have been like to be on the receiving end of that. For people to point at you and say, unclean, unclean. Some of you may not have to imagine. I don't know. Um, Maybe you felt ostracized. Maybe you felt like you didn't belong. You weren't the one chosen. This was first century bullying. Unintentional, but it was first century bullying. Scriptural context. It's so important. Um, we will never understand the New Testament the way God wants us to without some understanding of our Old Testament, right? It sheds light on the New Testament. Um, so as you look at Leviticus, specifically chapter 15, it is about a person like this woman who has been bleeding. Gives us more details how she's not to be touched. Um, imagine what that felt like. The emotional toll that it would take on you to not be touched for as long as this woman has has been unclean. Um, There's a book out uh, called The Five, I think it's called The Five Love Languages. Some of you have read it, I know. One of the love languages in that book is touch. It's touch. And so much is communicated through appropriate touch, right? Uh, love. Um, in fact, without it, we know that it, it has a, a detrimental impact on the human soul. Um, during our time in Russia, one of the things we did a few, to- a few times was we would get a bus and load up students um, from the universities and we would go to a Russian orphanage. Now, a Russian orphanage is, um, is a pretty sad place. Um, there are usually way 
more, more kids than the staff can care for. They did their best, but most of these children might have had the physical needs met, food, clothing, shelter, uh, but most of the time never had their emotional needs met. Um, so we would load up kids, students, our family, and go and just play with the kids for a day. Uh, and give the, the workers a break, but, um, and it was, it was impactful for us. Especially if you were a man. If you were a man going into that environment, because these kids had very little contact with men, most of the orphanage workers were women. For a man to go into that environment, it was uh, startling. We would sit on the floor, and once the kids got to the point where they, they, they understood that you were safe and you were there just to play with them, there wasn't a moment that I didn't have six to eight kids on me all the time, starving for affection, starving to be touched in some way, for love to be communicated. Um, we also saw children in that orphanage that... Um, would be um, usually toddlers in their cribs who were underdeveloped. Um, oftentimes would be rocking themselves. They would sit in a crib and rock for hours as a way to stimulate themselves because there was no other stimulation in their lives. No touching. Um, some of these children, even though they were two and three years old, were slow to walk, talk, um, and grow physically. Even though they had everything they needed, from a, a physiological standpoint, they had everything they needed. The thing that was lacking was love. Touch. How important it is to have that kind of touch. This woman has been without it for a long time. Okay? Whoever touches her is going to be unclean. We're also told in Leviticus that anything she sits on, she lays on, she rides on, that object will be unclean. And anybody then that touches that object, they will be unclean. So, you do not go to this woman's house, right? Because anything you touch in there is unclean. Also, you don't invite her to your house, right? You begin to see the layers of this. In a communal culture, like first century Jewish culture would have been, this is incredibly difficult. People um, feel that, I think, uh, sometimes today in our culture. It may look different, it may not be the result of an Old Testament law, but people feel that kind of isolation in our culture today. Sometimes we read about people described in this way or hear about them as loners. They have no friends. Unfortunately, um, on the local or national news sometimes, we hear this description of somebody and it's accompanied a story of someone who's done something horrific. Either to themselves or someone else. It's a suicide. It's an attempted suicide. Or, even more tragic, it's a mass shooting. And the perpetrator are usually described in this way, aren't they? They're a loner. They've got no friends. 
I don't know if you uh, saw on the news about a month ago, it was right after the Florida school shooting, and there was an interview on Nine News out of Denver um, titled, with, with a man in Denver, titled, I Was Almost a School Shooter. Look it up. I'm going to share a bit of the transcript with you right now. Um, here's a guy that was described and described himself much like we see this woman. Okay? His name is Aaron Stark. Interview on Channel 9 News out of Denver. I was almost a school shooter. That's not a sentence many people hear or read. It's also not a sentence many people ever say publicly. A man named Aaron did. Days after the deadly school shooting in Florida, Aaron chose to write to us and share his personal story. Not for attention, Aaron did it to help even one person who may be considering the fate he once considered. An act of kindness helped Aaron out of a dark place. Below is a message he sent to us. Aaron's full story is on this video. He begins in his word, I was almost a school shooter. I didn't carry out anything. I didn't hurt anyone. But in 1996, this would have been the first one, by the way, before Columbine. In 1996, I almost, I almost did the worst possible thing. I was very much the outcast in high school. I had a very chaotic and violent childhood, moving from place to place, having the people I was closest to be the ones who hurt me the most. I was shy and sensitive and smelled bad because I had either dirty clothes on that had not been washed in weeks or because I was filthy from not having a shower for weeks. I was picked on and bullied for being fat, smart, not playing sports. So I got angry and I started hiding weapons around everywhere, everywhere I hung out. I had hidden around me knives, sticks, shanks, brass knuckles, whatever. And I would always have one in arm's reach. I say all this not to shock or upset people or to say that I agree with this kind of evil. I say this to show that the problem is difficult. People say mental health is the issue, and that's true. My mental health was in sad shape. I was severely depressed and suicidal. I felt like I had nothing at all in life to look forward to. And so I literally had nothing to lose. When someone has nothing to lose, they can do anything. And that thought should be terrifying. So yes, mental health, mental health was an issue. A bigger issue was love. I had a severe lack of love. And I think, I really think this kid, referring to the Florida school shooter, did too. If you see someone who looks like they need love, Give it to them. Even a small hug, a word, or a smile could actually save lives. Compassion is the only real way to stop this. Love people even when they don't deserve it. The interview goes on. And on one of his worst nights, he tells how a family invited him over to their house and made him a blueberry pie just for him. It was his first taste of love and acceptance. It was one of the darkest nights of his life. They had no idea that he was suicidal and wanted to hurt others that night. Their act reached out to him, their act of kindness, and it changed the rest of his life. 
and the faith of many others as well. It is a powerful interview. I can't think of a better way to apply Romans 12, 21, where Paul says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Isn't that what we're called to do? Getting back to this woman, her emotional well-being, her social life, um, is not much different than Aaron's, than that interview. Very similar. Um, We can call it mental health, but really it's a lack of love, right? We realize more from Leviticus chapter 15. Um, Next are the spiritual consequences of a person who is like this woman that is unclean. Because she's unclean, she cannot go to the temple. She's not allowed in the temple. If she's not allowed in the temple, then... The first thing is that no sacrifices have been made on her behalf for this long period. We don't have to worry about that anymore. That was Old Testament. Jesus came and fulfilled that Old Testament law for us. and was the perfect sacrifice for us. But at that point, this is how this woman is cleansed, is, is, receives forgiveness, atonement for her sin. Is a sacrifice being offered? She can't go do that. She also can't be in the synagogue to hear the Scriptures being taught and read. Spiritually, this woman is bankrupt. Not only spiritually, but financially. We're told that this woman has spent all she had. Everything. And she's not getting better, she's getting worse. What's left for a person, when you remove their emotional and social well-being, you remove their spiritual well-being, their physical health, she's been bleeding, and now they're financially broke. She's got to file chapter 11. There isn't much left to life, is there? Notice how long this has happened. It's been happening for 12 years. That's a prison sentence of 12 years. That's how she's living. She has heard somewhere or has saw Jesus at some other point. She has heard about Him and she gets it in her head. All i got to do is touch Him or touch His clothes. Just touch His clothes. There is great risk for her, isn't there? Just like Jairus. Her risk is being found out being identified. Because if someone sees her in this pressing crowd, what are they going to do? Point her out and start yelling, unclean, unclean. She's got to figure out how to get close enough to Jesus, reach out and touch Him without being found out. There's a huge risk involved. But she does it. She reaches out in faith, touches Jesus, and is healed like that immediately. Jesus then asks, who? Who touched me? Um, You see, Jesus knows the difference between someone reaching out to Him in faith and someone that's just casually bumping up against Him, doesn't He? He knows the difference. He did then, He knows now. There's a difference in faith and casual contact, isn't there? 
one leads to healing and life change, and one just may lead to a callous or a hard heart. What does it look like to be have casual contact with Jesus today? To just uh, not really be reaching out in faith? I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just dabbling in church. Maybe it's not really pursuing a relationship with Him. Maybe it's just kind of being a fan and not a follower. Jesus described people like this as being lukewarm. You know what? In Revelation 3, in a warning to the church of Laodicea, He says, you know, I, I know your deeds. I wish you were either hot or cold, but you're neither. You're lukewarm. Because of that, I just want to spit you out of my mouth. That's a harsh warning, isn't it? Either we follow Him or we don't. Casual contact doesn't cut it. You know what? There's no place for lukewarmness as it relates to Christ. Either we're with Him or we're against Him, He said. I want to be with Him, don't you? I want to be all in. He knew then, He knows now the difference when someone's just brushing up against Him or when really reaching out in faith. And then he asks that question, who touched me? Who did it? And the disciples are like, how can you ask that question? Look at this crowd. Jesus knew though, didn't he? He knew the difference. Why do you think he asked who did it? Do you think he didn't know who did it? No, I think he did. I think sometimes Jesus asks more of us because He has more for us. Faith is what pleases Him. And trust. This woman had to trust that He wouldn't reject her. That He wouldn't scold her or humiliate her. And she comes. She falls at His feet, we're told. It's the same exact reaction that Jairus had a few minutes earlier. She falls at his feet. Jairus fell at Jesus' feet. If you're looking for a good way to relate to Jesus, here's the posture and the position. Fall at his feet. Yes, he calls his friends. Yes, he calls his loved ones. My beloved. But if you're looking for a good way to reach out in faith, here's the posture you want to assume. Fall at his feet. Fall at his feet and call him Lord. Her faith and trust are rewarded when she hears the word daughter. Daughter. You see, he not only wanted her to be healed, but he had so much more in store for her. And calling her daughter signified a new relationship, which is really what he wants with us. I know that there may be some listening today on the radio or right here that you may feel like you've taken life on the chin too. You might feel like this woman felt. Maybe you're isolated, alone. There's not much left to life, you feel like. But be assured that God cares. And He wants to change the status quo. He's not satisfied with the way things are either. There's people who care. There's people right here who care. Read this passage again when you get home. and Reach out to Him in faith. Back to, back to Jairus for just a minute. 
Imagine the interruption that he has. He's come to Jesus, risked it, fall at his feet, and asked him to come. Please, please come. My daughter is dying. And then this whole scenario unfolds. Instead of walking with Jairus to his home, Jesus is spending time with this woman in the midst of this crowd. And then he gets the news, the final news. Don't, don't bother this teacher anymore. Your daughter's dead. Jesus' words, don't fear. Just believe. And let's keep walking. Come on, let's go to your house. Keep walking. Because you don't know what's in store next. None of us do. We don't know what's next. There may be a miracle around the next corner if we're walking with Him. You may just witness one as well. Jesus gives these parents back their daughter. Alive and healthy. Alive and healthy. Notice how old she is. She's 12 years old. On the one hand, you have this woman who has been living a nightmare for 12 years. And on the other hand, you have this young girl who should be in the prime of her life, but is dead at 12 years old. What should we take away from it? Simply, Jesus is Lord. He is Lord over life, and He is Lord over death. He's Lord over the living and the dead. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. And what he's telling every one of us is the same. Walk with me. Stop fearing. Trust me. And let's walk together into your future. Let's pray. Father, um, we see these things in your word. We see you do incredible things. Miracles. And there's times in our lives where we feel like that is so far away. And yet, uh, as your children we can choose to believe your word. Father, uh, I pray you wouldn't find us lukewarm. I pray you wouldn't find us just uh, enjoying casual contact with you. But Lord, we'd be the people reaching out in faith, even if we are in despair. We'd be the people reaching out in faith, saying, Jesus, I need you. Assuming a posture just like they did, on our knees before you. Lord, I know that you have a plan for each one of us. Would you be pleased to help us walk with you into our futures? Help us to not fear. Help us to trust you and cling to you and walk with you into our futures. In Jesus' name, amen.